as musicians, we're always trying to find more ways to bring in consistent money so that we can focus on creating, right? Well, maybe it's time for you to start a Patreon. Let's discuss today. Welcome to episode five of Behind the Band, where we help you grow your music career by talking with awesome artists and people from the industry. My name is David Ryan Olson. I run Evergreen Records, where we are all about helping artists like you grow. So honored that you've decided to join us today. But before we jump in, just wanted to say, if you are releasing music in the future, I would love for you to check out our free workshop called Rock the Release. It's just going to teach you how to plan and promote your next release for maximum success. You'll learn a proven strategy for getting on playlists, blogs, and shared by influencers so that you can get more streams and keep building a strong music career. So just go to evergreenrecords.com slash workshop to sign up for Rock the Release. So today we have Anna Gilbert on the show and she is an awesome, awesome music business singer-songwriter, just all-around great person that I want to hang out with more. But one of the things she's going to be sharing about today is Patreon, which is something she's really leaned into to bring in consistent income for her and wanted to have her just share about, is this the right thing for you to do? So without further ado, let's jump in, get to know Anna, and she'll share a little bit about Patreon as well. All right, I am here with Anna Gilbert. How are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing okay. We are in the middle of uh, lockdown still. If you're listening in the future, you're laughing at us (laughs) for one of many reasons. (laughs) Either because, LOL, remember that, or LOL, I don't know what the other reasons would be. But here we are. We are very social distancing right now. We're way more than six feet apart. (laughs) We're actually in, like, different cities. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Anna, super glad that we finally uh, got a chance to talk. Super excited to have you on the show and uh, just to get to know you a little bit and yeah, share some of the cool me. things you've got going on. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, let's just jump in. Give us a little bit of your story. Yeah. Ever since I was a kid, I've been singing and playing piano, but I've, I made the decision to pursue music full-time after I graduated from college. I went to U of O and was an English lit major. I started kind of playing with the idea of moving to Nashville or moving to Portland or something like that, but I went to a songwriters conference and made a really great friendship with this guy named Charlie Peacock, and he, you know, discovered Switchfoot, the Civil Wars, the Lone Bellow, um, and he really took a liking to my writing, my songwriting, and you know, fast forward two years of kind of flying out there a lot and working with him, I finally decided to make the move out there. And so I moved out there and worked really closely with him and actually worked at his studio, um, did actual work for him, even as like, you know, his admin assistant for his little label that he had. I was a songwriter um, on his label uh, or like his little roster that he had. He had a little boutique label. So I would write songs with and for some of the projects he was working with. So that was really great experience. That's really when I decided songwriting for me was going to be kind of like my number one goal as a, as a musician. I wanted to just write. Um, and then performing for me was not really anything I thought I would really pursue. So then after spending a lot of time in Nashville, I actually moved back 
back and forth twice. I, I came out with a record. I toured it, went back to Nashville, moved back to Oregon. There was some life stuff that happened in there. I, I was married at the time to somebody else. We got a divorce. Don't worry. it's We're all good. <laughs> we're friends. Um, and so I finally kind of just like landed in Portland about four years ago after a whole bunch of, you know, moving around, not sure what I was going to do. And I landed in Portland and decided to just be an artist. And I was writing so much that I wanted these songs I was writing to actually get heard. Because one of the things as a songwriter is you'll write music for, like if you're writing for someone on a label um, or if you're writing for a publishing company, if the song doesn't get cut, the label like owns that song and it will never see the light of day sometimes if it just doesn't get cut on the record or maybe it makes the record and at the last minute it like gets cut off the record. I was just noticing that uh, I was kind of getting a little discouraged by all this music I was writing that was never really seeing the light of day. And in the meantime, I was kind of doing my own little side projects, but I wasn't really like touring them or like doing much with them. So I landed in Portland and decided I wanted to do music full time. And that's kind of like where everything changed. So here we go. This is Life 2.0. And since then, I've started a Patreon. Um, I've started a band. I am playing solo all the time. I'm writing with other artists here in town. I'm working um, on a musical with a friend in Eugene. And I'm just doing a ton of stuff as an artist now here in Portland. And things are going well. So you said something interesting. You originally... You just wanted to be a songwriter. You said you didn't necessarily want to be an artist. You didn't want to necessarily be on stage, which mm-hmm. is, is, is interesting because I think a lot of musicians that are interested in going to music, they just kind of assume that, you know, being an artist on stage is the only option. They don't really like, you know, think about, well, there are professional songwriters in the industry. That's right. Can you share a little more about why that was the case for you? Well, I think what pulled me into music, first of all, I'm a piano player. So what pulled me into music uh, at first was just singing and playing piano. And then I noticed that I loved to write songs on piano. And that was probably when I was like in third or fourth grade, I'd make up dumb little songs, right? And then I was that classic, like, I just want to write songs and sing them for myself. I don't want anyone to hear my songs. They're just for me. You know, I'd show my mom and then like, she'd want to show her friends. I'd be like, no. And I'd like freak out, you know? (laughs) So what I fell in love with was just, and and the thing that really like lit my fire, like everyone as as an artist or as a musician has something that just like lights them up and like, this is what I'm stoked about, you know? And for me, it was the creative process, the writing process. And like that even translated later into the recording process, like recording music in a studio. I loved that. But yeah, I just wanted to write songs, like even write songs for other artists. Like that was so fun for me to like get with another writer and then like we had a song um that I got in a movie called Change of Plans and the original idea was to write this song for another artist that was going to sing it they ended up just using the demo that we made for the for the movie but um it was this idea of like oh I get to write a song about this theme in the movie and like just like being in that creative space where I'm like you know, coming up with a musical narrative and trying to like set the scene musically for what I'm seeing in the movie. Like that was like 
so fun for me. And like the the idea of performing it never like entered into my mind. It was only just the like creating of the music that I was stoked about. Mm. So that's kind of what fueled my fire to just want to be a songwriter. And another thing, songwriters get to live a really normal life. So if you're a successful songwriter in like Nashville, like you don't have to like go on tour. Like you can just like, stay home and have like a normal nine to five. You have some co-writes during the day. Like sometimes I'd have like two or three co-writes when I lived in Nashville and then I'd go home and like the rest of my day would be normal. And for some people that would be like, oh, that sounds terrible. (laughs) Like (laughs) being on the road is so fun. And for me, it's like, well, travel and being on the road is like pretty fun. But the most fun for me would be to just write the music and then, you know, kiss it goodbye and be like, okay, go make a cool song out of this. That's fun to hear that perspective because I think that's not something that a lot of independent musicians who are just getting into things really realize about the industry. So real cool that you've shared that part of your story. Thanks, yeah. Going along with the concept of being a writer, you said you were an English lit major in college. Yeah. Which is not your typical path to pursuing music. Right, right. What went into that choice and how has that influenced your music career? Yeah, I mean, I think I was an English lit major because I love the words and I love the phonetics of words and I love how words sound together. I love to read. Um, I loved putting together beautiful sentences um, that just sounded pretty when you read them out loud. I liked, like, and the thing with music and writing music is like, how concise can you say this thing how beautiful can you say this thing and you only have this much you know square footage to say it you know and how how non-literal can you say this thing how poetically can you say this thing in a way that people feel something without explicitly stating your feelings you know unless you write a song like that's like I hate you you know (laughs) how can you write I hate you in a way that isn't explicitly stating I hate you you know how can you poetically say it or you know figuratively say it right so that was my pull towards english and literature um is because um especially like you know fiction novels for me were huge like i loved reading fiction because it's just this creative story that someone thought up in their head and said it and wrote it really beautifully the music major path for me was never an option because it just beat the living poop out of music you know it's like theory and I started that way because I was a piano player and after like one semester of like taking a couple music classes at U of O I was like no like I am not a legit classical musician I am a creative song you know singer songwriter so to speak but I am my brain is too imaginative like I would drive a music major crazy because I'd be like well you could play it like that but what if you played it like this (laughs) yeah when I think about literature film it's it's very similar to music in the sense that you are trying to figure out you're trying to capture the essence of like what it means to be a person and like share that emotion with other people in a lot of ways that almost seems like it would be a better preparation for wanting to do music than necessarily a classical music degree it is it really is if you want to be a songwriter or like you know when i say pop songwriter i mean you know country uh folk whatever pop is just like all-encompassing like genre so if you want to be like a a contemporary pop songwriter i think being a lit major is a better path than say being a you know classical piano like a trained classical piano major you know it's just if anything it takes the creativity i mean this is going to maybe offend someone that was a classical piano major but for me it just took all of the creativity out of it and said no you have to do it like this you have to do it's on the page 
you have to do it in this style and you have to sit like this on the piano and play like this. Like for me, that just, um, too, too much confinement. You know, I, I need to like spread my wings and be a little zigzaggy, you know? (laughs) Right. No, totally. So when you were in college studying English lit, were you wanting to be a musician at the time? I knew I was always going to do music. Absolutely. I knew I was 100% going to do music. Um, and another thing that's so crazy, I chose that major because I freaking loved literature. Like, I just loved reading and writing and journaling and being, you know, I'd write poetry in my, you know, diary. You know, like that, I just couldn't get enough. So for me, it was like, I will always do music, plus I love reading and writing, so this is a great compliment, you know, to what I already am doing, you know? So it was always kind of like a hand-in-hand thing. Share a little bit more about what your time in Nashville was like. My time in Nashville was amazing. I was working with this Grammy Award winning producer, you know, Charlie Peacock. I mean, he has Grammys in his studio. I mean, I was watching 24 with the drummer from The Temptations. I was listening to the Civil War's Grammy Award winning record be mixed. Um, I was, you know, working with these first class musicians that, I mean, I wasn't necessarily in the session with them, but I was getting to like sit in the studio with them as they were working like guys that played on like Reba McIntyre's like, you know, country record that got her a Grammy or like Sarah Bareilles' drummer was in one time and played on a track that I sung on and, or Colby Calais, like so-and-so. Yeah. Like I, these star, you know, stark (laughs) studded, you know, musicians were coming through his studio. And I mean that, yeah, I mean, that's just insane to look back on and think, even if I just have like a, you know, really mediocre local career. I'm, I'm totally content with that. I'm actually very happy with what I'm doing, but it's really fun to look back and, and think like, wow, I got to like be in the same room as those people. Um, so Nashville is amazing. I'd say, I, you know, I, I would go hear music probably every night of the week. I'd go to a show. I just, even if it was a local person, I'd go, I'd go hear them play. You know, the, sometimes the cover would be like $5 and you're just hearing this super crazy amazing band you know play country swing and they've been at the Grand Ole Opry for you know years and years and Vince Gill is like five feet from your face and he's (laughs) singing and you're crying and you just only paid for like a beer and and you know your ticket to get in and you're like it's like 15 bucks you know and you're like how does this is crazy you know like I'm listening to Vince Gill I'm drinking a beer and you know I'm in Nashville so like stuff like that I just when I live there I would just I pinch myself like you know, there's no question about it. It's it's synergistic. It's it's you you can't help but get better when you're there. You know, every single store, venue, whatever on that whole block has someone playing music. You know, if, even if it's just like the ice cream parlor. You know, there's some guy in there with his guitar. So I loved writing there. I got to write with a lot of really amazing people that were on label deals, and you know, I was on this cute little baby boutique like artist development. You know, I'm like walking into like. Sony publishing and writing with somebody that's, you know, a big deal. So that was really cool. You're almost describing just like a musical paradise. Mm -hmm. So why would you ever want to leave that if there's just the energy and the connections? So for me, there was a couple things at play. There were some personal things going on in my life, like I said, um, that brought me back to Oregon. And and I think in in the same way that you can go to LA and you can go to Nam and you just get lit up with like how amazing everything and there's all everything is there's also this feeling of overwhelming waves of holy Moses like this there's a lot of people here doing 
crazy awesome stuff and and it's not like I didn't believe in myself or something like that. It wasn't it, it, it wasn't just necessarily like self-doubt or I could never it's almost just like this space is so cool. There's so many people here doing things. There is a part of my, you know, personal life that took me back to Oregon, but there's also something where it's like this is my home, you know? And I got I got a lot out of Nashville. I gleaned a lot. It was inspiring. I didn't know how to do what I wanted to do there because it is really packed with people that are doing the same exact thing that you want to do. So, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, maybe if the things in my personal life hadn't been happening, maybe I would have stayed. But I don't know. It's kind of beautiful how everything kind of worked out and I don't have any regrets. But yeah, it's it's a it's a great, it's like almost like you could go to New York City for two years and be like, holy crap, that was amazing. But like, I think I'm ready to go home. Or like I went to Japan in high school four different times. And every time I was there, I was like, this is incredible. And then I was really ready to like, okay, I want to go home now, you know? So that's kind of maybe how I felt. But, you know, I've been back a lot since I've um, moved back to Portland and um, I still love it. But, you know, I don't know if it's like my home. One of the things that people talk about is uh, since so much can be remote, maybe just go for a couple of years, make some connections. Is is there any truth to that? Have you made connections and are you still nurturing that? With the internet and the ability to like do what we're doing right now, Zoom chat. Um, I know you can do like a Pro Tools live session now with someone in another city, right? You can like literally record in the same session with someone and but not be in the same room you know that is possible I do think there's this out of sight out of mind thing though just from a business standpoint that happens when you're not in that city just things are going on like who do you think of that you know is is you know in that city that you can call on if you need something right so I do think it's a mixed bag I think if you nurture the relationships you have in other cities and you invest in them and you do Zoom calls with them and you make trips there and you continue to say, hey, like, shoot me work or like, hey, I'll do a discounted rate. Like anytime you need something, just send it to me and you can get it back to them quick and you do good work for them. I definitely think you can keep relationships going, you know, business relationships going in other cities that you've made. But I do think it'll take more work. Let's just say that. I think it's possible. And I, but I, and I do think your biggest enemy really are the people that are there in that city who can just be at their house and, you know, a quick phone call hey can you come over and record this part really quick you know or hey you want to like jump on this song with me tomorrow at my studio and help me finish it you know so that will always be your biggest enemy but if you can be really good at nurturing those relationships in other cities I do have a relationship with someone in another city that I just did work for last week and he sent me this thing and I did it really quick and he loved it, and I love what he does, and we just like kind of keep it going on to the next thing that we do, you know. So I think as long as you're good at getting it back quick, you know, really fulfilling the client's needs, then I think you can absolutely, you know, have a, have a business relationship with with someone that doesn't live in your city. I think it's possible. One of the things that you mentioned that's a big pro of being in a city like Nashville or LA or New York is that there is just so much professional, no BS talent that's around that you can call up and say, Hey, can you be over in 15 minutes mm-hmm. as a musician? Those kinds of things are going to come up no matter where you are. If you're trying to work on any sort of project, whether you're in the studio or you're trying to play gigs or you're just trying to do a right. How do you compete 
with with that when you're not necessarily in one of those cities. I honestly think the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You know, I think if you're the one seeking out people, you're the one sending them ideas, you're the one saying, hey, like, shoot me something and I'll do it for, um, you know, I, I'll just do it because I want to do it. I like I do. I, I have done a lot of free stuff uh, for people and projects that I believe in that has led to paid work. So I think if you just, you know, be your own best self advocate and no one's going to advocate for you. And if you don't do it, no one else will do it. You know what I mean? Like it's just we're not we're not we're not living in that time anymore where you have an agent that's going to get you work unless you're like Tom Cruise. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think if you make if you make the effort. You advocate for yourself, you make the relationship, and then you nurture the relationship and keep it going. And I will say this, just as a sidebar, um, I think true authentic relationships and really making friendships with people go a lot further than hitting someone up one time, dropping them your, like, EPK or whatever. And then if they don't call you back, then you sort of, like, flip them off, you know, and then whatever. Like, I think leading with the idea that I'm interested in you because you do something that I'm interested in. Also, I think you're a cool person. We should get together and just be friends. And then let the relationship birth out work that could potentially be beneficial for both people. That leads to the type of relationship that will be more than just a one-off, that will be you know work that keeps on coming. And I'm saying that from personal experience. And I don't have like a lot of relationships that I like – Oh yeah, I'm like people are knocking down my door every day. But I will say, like the the relationships that I've made that, um, or actually the the business relationships I've made have mostly been birthed out of true friendships mm. that I've had. So I think if you can lead with the idea that like I just want to be a person in a community that is um, fostering like healthy friendships, and I want to be in this like space where like I'm down to help my friends out but you know just just having a nice balance between business and friendship is really important because everyone can smell a rat everybody can smell a thirsty you know person that just wants to take your money you know everybody can sense when you're just like okay this guy just wants my money and he's totally trying to hustle right now like at least I can I think most people can I think it's interesting that you said it's really important to build actual relationships because when you think about how people operate, just think about yourself. You don't like to reach out to anybody that you don't already kind of know. And like anytime you have to text anyone that's outside of your five circle of five friends or your family, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but you know, and start sweating a little bit, right? Yeah. And so if you're wanting to get someone to hire you, you got to make sure that that friction is not there. That it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to call up so-and-so because they're my friend and it's going to be easy and it's going to be great. 100. And, you know, like, I think everyone kind of knows now there's like a code. I think there's an intuitiveness about working as a like, you know, being a seasoned salty vet now as a musician. Like, you know when it's right to ask for money and when to offer and when to not and what's free and how to lead with. Like, when you have a project that you need something on, you know when it's right to say, like, I'll do this when I need something mixed or mastered. I always pay for stuff like that. I all, you know, and then I also know when to lead with, hey, I've got this thing that has no budget. Would you, do you want to like jump in on this? If not, like no worries. And then you totally leave like the door open for them and be like, 
no, I'm so sorry. I'm so busy. Like, I can't do any unpaid thing right now. It's like, perfect, good. Like, good for you. <laughs> like, If you're a, an intuitive person and, you, and you've kind of like been around enough, you sort of know like when to traverse certain relate or certain deals in your in your relationship you know and you know how to ebb and flow with it so i think that's really the key is like and i think that's why having good friendships in place is so important because then you can kind of like sense like what this type of project would be and it, you know how much money you should expect or you know not expect could you try and like verbalize maybe like some of what your intuition tells you about like okay this is something i should accept for free versus you know i should ask for a little bit of money on this versus like nope this is a full rate thing because i know a lot of people starting out that's like something they're not sure of and it takes a little while just to kind of find your sea legs on that sure so for me if i'm like so if i have a song that i need to have mixed or mastered i'll usually just like go get people's rates and just get some like price points and then I'll decide I'll decide like who I want to use based on the project and I will never ever offer lower than what someone quotes me I will never say would you do it for $50 lower ever 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 because I think that's demeaning I think that's like they they said how much they're worth or how much their price is I think that's one like thing that I would say don't ever do that like if you ask someone to play on your record and they quote you a thousand dollars and you're like what thousand dollars are you kidding me like would you do it for eight you know and and then and then you go back and like will you do it for 500 no like i'd no they quoted you a thousand that's what their price is then then you go elsewhere i mean i guess you could go back and try to like negotiate but i that's not in my i just wouldn't do that that's just me if you have a budget i would say hey i need a string thing I have like X amount of dollars and here's the song and I'd send it to them all in one email. I'm like, would, would, would you be able to lay something down for this much? And then they can play with it in their head and like bat it back and forth and be like, ah, you know, okay, maybe, you know, and then they could say no or they could say sure or they could be like counter offer, I'll do it for this much. And then you can say, okay, yeah, that works or no worries, it's okay, I'm gonna actually go this other direction. When someone comes to me with their budget, like this happens a lot when they want to hire me for weddings, like to sing at their wedding, I just have like a solid price point that I tell people for weddings. And I'll say, this is how much it costs. And if they come back with, would you do it for this? I usually say like, unless it's my friend, then I do it for free. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, I think you kind of just got to know your price points. You got to know what you're willing to budge on. And I think if you have that friendship in play, Everything is up for grabs. Everything's up in the air. Most people, if you ask them to help you out on something musically, they might ask, well, what's the budget? A lot of people don't have necessarily a set rate for laying down some BGVs or or filling in for a session at a gig. If you just say, look, this is maybe what we could scrape together. Are you down? They're more than free to say, yeah, why not? Or... Sorry, don't think so. Or, well, you know, I think that might be a little too low. I usually would like to get, you know, X out of this. Absolutely. I think, and I think a lot of times people are, if you quote them the price, like, this is my budget, would you be willing to do it for that? I think a lot of times you're like, you know what? Yeah, totally. Because I like you and like, you're my friend. And like, so I think that's a great, I really love that approach. Yeah, I think that's a great way to do it. One of the other things that you have been really rocking is... Patreon, which 
I know a lot of artists have heard about this mythical land of getting free money <laughs> to release <laughs> stuff to their fans. And so they're maybe intrigued. They just haven't quite looked into it or, or figured it out yet. Tell us about your experiences with Patreon. So Patreon is this platform that has, you know, was started by Jack Conti, who's uh, in Pomplamoose, um, super music guru guy. Um, it's this way of getting people to support the music that you make, the art that you make, and it's a way to put their, like, little donation behind what you do and then you release say like two things a month so if they if they release if if the artist release two things a month and they're giving you a dollar per release you get two dollars a month and exponentially that grows so you get 40 patrons and they all give ten dollars you release two things a month you know all of a sudden that's how much you have in your pot it's guaranteed income but you, I will say, you want to be doing something that you're already naturally doing. So if you're already naturally releasing YouTube videos of you singing covers, then Patreon is a great next step to get some money to get paid for those things that you're releasing naturally. If you don't do anything online and you don't release anything naturally online, it's a lot harder road road to, to hoe, so to speak, you know, because you're trying to do this brand new thing that you don't naturally do. And you're a also asking people to support this thing that they've never seen you do. You know, I have a really great group of people who have decided that they want to support the content I create. And Patreon is really about the relationship that you have with your patron. You basically give them access to your life in a way that you don't give anyone else access and you give them rewards based on how much they're willing to give you per release. You write to them more often, you interact with them more often. Um, it's really that relationship piece that I think you need to nurture. And the really great artists on Patreon do a good job of taking care of their patrons and making their patrons feel like their support is worth something and making their patrons feel loved, like extra special loved. <laughs> Say you're an artist that is releasing a single every couple of months or is releasing an album once a year or so or an EP once a year or so wanting to give fans something a little bit more consistent in between the big releases of the singles and albums thinking about how that might like tie into Patreon what's like a easy low-hanging fruit that you could employ there I would say if you're able to set up your um, camera, like if you have a nice camera, maybe that's a good first purchase. And then record your songs and then some covers in a way that sounds really good. So maybe you find a good space in your house and you, and you invest in a little like mic for your DSLR camera on a tripod, maybe those three things. And then you just record a cover of yourself singing a song that sounds really good, that looks really good. And you're offering your fans music that they love to listen to, but you're singing it. So covers, I think, is a great way to start, just releasing one to two covers a month. Um, and then maybe in between there, you offer free blog posts and free video chats with your patrons at no, you know, at the dollar reward level. level. So you say, every Friday night, I'm going to be on the Patreon, you know, video chat. If you're at the dollar tier, you can jump on and we can chat. So so you're offering them stuff that you do naturally plus some perks of being your patron. So I'd say like 
don't start with like, you get a free t-shirt and a sticker mailed to you every month. Like that's just too much money. Like you're not going to make any money doing that, right? At the $5 level, maybe you up it to the $5 patrons that donate $5 per release. They get um, one extra cover a month that anyone below that does not get. Or they get the podcast or the blog post or the video chat plus a sticker and you know, something else. So it's almost like you, you raise the stakes as you go up for people that are like super fans. But I think, I think a good place to start the low hanging fruit would be just some simple, you know, guitar, vocal, piano, vocal covers just in your own house. Something that doesn't necessarily need to be super high production value, something that's easily repeatable, but just something to give your fans a little bit in between the bigger releases. Yeah. And I think you have to put yourself in the seat of the fan. What would you want from your artist? So, and I don't, I only think, you, you know, it's really difficult to, it would change for everybody. It would, it would, it would be different for everybody. So I think that's what you have to think like though, as a Patreon creator is like, what would my type of fan want from me? Can you share what your Patreon currently looks like? Yeah, so I've tried different. So, you know, my Patreon tiers have changed over the years. Um, I'll, you know, change the ones that aren't seeming to be very enticing to people. I'll update them. I'll create new ones. Right now, I have a $1 level tier, which is, um, so if I do if I do two releases per month, it's $2 off their credit card, right? Or PayPal, whatever. So for the $1 tier, I believe right now I have, they get access to every high quality mp3 that i release they get access to the patreon feed so if i post a blog post pictures of me in the studio some live video that's just funny i mean sometimes i do like funny stuff i'll share about the musical i'm writing just you know basically like, like my musical diary they they get access to that plus we follow each other on social media so if they are my patron i follow them they follow me the $5 uh, reward tier, so that would be $5 per release, they get exclusive Patreon chats. So that would be like live video chats with me and maybe Matt and my dogs. Is this a one-on-one thing or is that like a group chat? Like a Zoom room. Yeah, like a Zoom room thing. And again, your only thing, you're, your Patreon constituency usually is like, you're talking like 100 people. Unless you're like uh, pentatonics, then maybe you have like, 30,000 or something. Right. <laughs> or you're like, you know, a, a really, there's some, you know, comedians on there and, and really successful podcasts, right? So, you know, you'll have quite a few more patrons if you're, if you're of that fame, that fame level. So, uh, yeah. So for me, I'm thinking like $5 would be a good place to start if you really have some fans that love talking with you and want to like get to know you and your family. Um, so that's my $5 tier. I just added a new tier, which is the $11 tier, which is really strange, but like 11 is like my favorite number. So if you're an $11 tier, uh, tier person, then you get for very limited time, um, a shy honey t-shirt, shy honey stickers, an Anna G t-shirt, like two CDs. Like it's just like this swag bag of stuff of merch. So basically like the merch tier and I mail it to you for 11, like if you're at the $11 tier. I think at $20, I sing a special song of your 
choosing like a cover, $50. I think I do lessons or some more like one-on-one, like mentorship kind of thing. And then I have one that no one's ever done, but I'm just waiting for like Bill Gates to discover me. I have like a $450 tier where I will fly out my own expense, like my whole band out and I'll do like a private concert for you, like just wherever you want. But the the kicker is you have to be my patron for at least like six months. Right. Cause so, you could just, uh, you could, you could pay yeah. 450 bucks and <laughs> yeah, exactly. have you be out three grand. <laughs> yeah. Which I think I said in like, yeah. In like, you know, the fine print, like you have to be my patron for a year to make this work. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, and no one would do, you know, like that's so silly to even think that that would happen. But yeah, so that right now I think those are the tiers, and I've deleted a bunch. I used to think I think I used to have like a fifteen dollar one, like a twenty five dollar one, and sometimes it's just like that's just too many. Like people aren't that into it. So yeah. So when you started out doing Patreon, was there any difficulty getting people on board? It was only difficult explaining what it is. So. It, once they saw the vil- little video that I made on my Patreon page about what Patreon is and what why it's good to be a patron of art, um, it, people were totally on board, like more so than I thought, actually. It wasn't hard to get people on board, no. It was just hard to explain it. Like, they'd be like, what is it? You know, <laughs> like, like that was more the question of like, wait, is this like a Kickstarter? And like, no, 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 it's it's a... It's a membership. It's like a jogathon. You know, every lap that I do, you're going to give me a dollar. You know, like that kind of a yeah. thing. I think a lot of us musicians don't quite remember how much music plays a big part of fans' lives as well. I mean, obviously for us musicians, we're all like, oh, you know, we live and breathe this. But then there are other people out there that they have their their handful of small artists that they just love to support. And people want to support you. It's just a matter of giving them an opportunity to. Yeah, you said it. They want to support you. They don't, they like your music, but most people just, they want to support the person. They love the person. And this is, this is so true. And we, we could, we could, you know, find countless examples of where you love a song and then you meet the artist and you're like, oh, I don't like that song anymore because the artist is annoying or like (laughs) the artist is like stupid or, or a jerk or something, you know, like really you fall in love with a person and then their music is also something you love. And then all, and then it's like, Oh gosh, I just really want to support them. I mean, I have like, I support like four artists on Patreon because I just love them. You know, I love their music too, obviously, but I love who they are. And I think that's the kicker with Patreon is just be you. Like you just being you doing what you do is what you want people to fall in love with. Otherwise it's not going to work. It's just going to be taxing. You're going to feel fake. You feel like a poser. People are going to know you're, po- you're a poser. You know, it's like you got to just be you and then let your fans come to you. Like you can't choose your fans. They choose you. And that's how it's going to be until you die. So you just be you and let your music speak for itself. Has there been anything surprising that's come out of doing things like Patreon? Yes. I think the most surprising thing is how tuned in your patrons are to you and your life. And I think it's really important to remember that Patreon is about them. So you're still doing your art, but Patreon is about the fans. So it's really important to not do things on Patreon that you might do on your social media. So that being said, I there was a time when I posted something about the musical I was writing. I think there was like a lyric in there. 
that just swung a little politically and the that person swung politically the other way and they 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 stopped being my patron and so i had to remember like patreon is a place where your fans need to feel loved and supported and not challenged that's not this is that's not the place to do it that being said like patreon is about the patrons and be really careful that you're not treating it like a social media platform you know it's like, here's my breakfast. Here's who I voted for. Here's what I think about this bill. You know, it's like, just try to keep it about your life and your music. Now, again, maybe you do want to politicize your art. And I think that's also really great. Just know it's going to be, it's going to be a little harder when you're first starting out to cut the possible people that could be your patrons, like right in half, you know, like you, it's already hard enough to get one patron and then you take that, your chances and you just like cut them in half that you'll get people to follow you. So anyway. If you had to give some advice to a young artist that's just trying to get their their sea legs in the music industry, what's just some general advice that you would give? I, you know, I think I'm probably going to have like a really biased answer, but if I can just stress the importance of of having great songs, um, continuing to practice your instrument, if you're a vocalist, if you take vocal lessons, don't stop taking vocal lessons. Like, continue to get good at your craft because I mean I think that's why you know NBA players train and golfers practice and you know like you I think a lot of times what happens is someone wants to be an artist and they shift all their focus to social media it's like I got to take good picture and everything becomes about pictures and and their personality and like their brand and they like kind of like the music almost becomes secondary but I'm a firm believer because I'm this way with artists that I love that your music speaks for itself and then your images just like beautifully frame what you're creating just out of your own you know well of creativity you know and so keeping that really strong keeping your creative juices flowing all the time your creative muscles keeping those keeping them strong is i think the most important thing so as a young artist starting out i would say focus on really great songs writing great songs getting good feedback from people you trust keep like like record a lot of songs before you release them you know like record like get with a great producer record like three or four songs and then listen to them for a month and then maybe go in and record another three or four you know it's just crazy the amount of growth that you'll that you'll have if you are a good like self critiquer and you allow someone that with a lot of musical knowledge into your life to like help you when you're first starting out. And I don't want to paralyze anyone by saying that either. Like, well, you have to have songs recorded to like, even if it's you with your iPhone and you record three or four songs in your room and you send it to another musical friend and, and they give you some feedback. I think that's also a really great place to start, but just stay good at your craft. Don't just think cause you have one song out that like you've done it, you've made it boom, like I'm done. It's like, just keep going, like keep writing great songs, keep getting better, keep listening to songs that you love and listen to great artists and figure out why their songs are good. Well, Anna, thanks so much for hanging out with us today and sharing a little bit about uh, some of the stuff you found. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Even in quarantine, we can hang out. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thanks so much. So that's it for my conversation today with Anna Gilbert. Just real quick before we go, wanted to remind you about our free workshop, 
rock the release. Just going to teach you how to get the best results out of your upcoming release. Teaching you how to get on blogs and playlists and shared by influencers and getting your friends and family and friends excited about your release as well. We're going to teach you the proven strategy. So just go to evergreenrecords.com slash workshop to sign up. But for now, that's it. Super, super glad that you came and chose to hang out with us today. And we'll see you next time.